The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. As I mentioned a minute ago, we are continuing in our series using the Revised Common Lectionary, which is just a collection of texts that the Christian church uses um, to kind of guide its way through the, uh, through the Bible over the course of three years. And uh, what I didn't mention a minute ago is that we're focusing particularly during this series on the Old Testament texts, which come from the writings of the prophet Jeremiah. And so as we go, uh, before we go a little deeper into today's passage, there are a couple of things that we ought to keep in mind about Jeremiah. Now, the first thing is that he had a particular calling, and I mentioned this last week, and if you were to look back in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10, the Lord says to Jeremiah, See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And so we talked last week about how Jeremiah's particular calling was to uh, proclaim the trouble that the people of God were in and to warn them of the devastation that was coming if they didn't change their ways. Now, additionally, this week I want to tell you a little bit about the, the timing and the situation that Jeremiah was in um, with the nation of uh, Judah. As you remember, possibly, if you were here, um, when did we do flannel graph? Was it last, last year, about a year ago? We did a whole series on, uh, that we called flannel graph. If you missed this, it's like the, one of the coolest things we've ever done, and we're never going to do it again, so too bad. Um, we had uh, a four or eight, eight feet by 32 feet, I think it was, or something like that, of, of flannel, like Sunday school-style flannel, and we talked about the entire Old Testament. And um, if, uh, if you were here then, you may remember the part where uh, after Sol- uh, Solomon died, his sons Jeroboam and Rehoboam got into a fight, and so there, there was this divided this division of the kingdom. The people of God had always been one nation, and then they were divided into the north, Israel, and the south, Judah. And so, um, and then each of those parts of the, each of those divided kingdoms was conquered, um, first the north and the south. So uh, this is, this moment in time that we're going to look at today is Jeremiah prophesying to the southern kingdom of Judah, but before they had been conquered by the Babylonian Empire which happened 587, 586 B.C. So they are, uh, they are not yet sent into exile. They're still living in their land. Um, but the trouble is on the way. And you'll see that as we get into the text a little bit here. Um, which I guess I'll just read to you now. Now today's text is uh, Jeremiah 4, verses 11 and 12, and then verses 22 through 28. Now... Um, If you want to use the Red Bibles under your chairs, that's on page 613. Uh, If you wanted to bring your own Bible, as I said last week, if you start in the middle and then turn 50 or 60 pages, you'll be headed toward Jeremiah, and you can find it in your own Bible as well. Let me read you this whole passage, and then I'll talk about how it breaks out, um, because it's obviously not continuous. Starting in verse 11. 
At that time, it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a hot wind comes from me out of the bare heights in the desert toward my poor people, not to winnow or cleanse, a wind too strong for that. Now it is I who speak in judgment against them. Skipping ahead to verse 22. For my people are foolish. They do not know me. They are stupid children, and they have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil, but do not know how to do good. I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no one at all, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. Because of this, the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above grow black, for I have spoken, I have purposed. I have not relented, nor will I turn back. So this is a pretty complicated passage of Scripture, actually. Um, In addition to being challenging on a spiritual level, and what are we going to do with all this desolation, it's, it's also challenging simply for the purposes of basic comprehension. What is going on with this passage? Why do they omit the verses? Why is it Jeremiah talking here and the Lord talking here? And what's the deal with this? Um, So... I want to, in order to help you understand the the text as a whole, the passage as a whole, I want to uh, fill in the blanks a little bit and tell you what, not only what sets up the portion that we just read, but also the part that's left out by the lectionary, what is in there and why was that left out. So the part leading up to verse 11, um, actually starting with verse 5 of chapter 4, is the prediction of this conquering army coming from the north. Remember I said Israel had not yet been conquered by Babylon, but they were in for it. Writing was on the wall, so to speak. And the way that happens is in the form of a a proclamation, a warning proclamation by a a sentry, somebody who might be standing on a a high wall or a tower as a lookout. And if you see in in verse 5, the second half of that verse starts out saying, Blow the trumpet through the land, shout aloud and say, Gather together, let us go into the fortified cities. And the end of verse 6, for I am bringing evil from the north and a great destruction. So this, this passage that leads up to it is, imagine the sentry blowing the horn, warning the people that the conquering army is on the way. Okay. And when we get to, to verse 11, is the, the first part of our passage, there's a statement by God. So it transfers, the, the, the speech transfers from this warning call to the statement of why there needs, why there the warning happened in the first place by God. And that's where we started with verse 11. At that time, it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a hot wind comes. And so there's this desert wind that's going to come through. It's not a, not a, a cool breeze that's going to separate the wheat from the chaff and help all the farmers out. This is a hot wind coming up from the plains of Africa and just going to obliterate everything, right? And that's God's statement. And that goes through 11 and 12. And then what the reason the lectionary skips the next several verses is because in verse 13, it returns back to the voice of that sentry again, that, that lookout. Look, he comes up like the clouds, his chariots like the whirlwind, his horses are swifter than eagles, and so on and so on. So all that section that's omitted is, is basically just a continuation of the part that we weren't supposed to read anyway. So it's not the lectionary cutting out 
the stuff that they don't want you to see, because <laughs> they give you plenty of stuff that you might not want to see. Um, so that's from verses 13 to 18. Now, we don't pick it up again, as you may remember, till 22. So what happens in those other verses? Uh, it's just in, in verses 19 through 21, if you wanted to go read those, are a first-person account of response to this coming terror. Jerusalem, the city personified, responds to this wind or this conquering army. My anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. So this is the city of Jerusalem, the holy city of God, responding to, the, to what, it, what she has just seen and heard um, is her fate. All right. So that, that takes us to, through verse 21, and then verse 22 is God speaking again. And that's where he doesn't say very nice things, but it's God speaking again. For my people are foolish. They do not know me. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. And then in the very next verse, something new comes, and it's a vision that the prophet Jeremiah has. 22 through 26 uh, is the vision of the prophet, and that's where he's talking about all the desolation and how there's no birds and the mountains are shaking and all that stuff. And then to conclude the passage, verses 27 and 28 are another proclamation by the Lord. When it says, for thus says the Lord, that's where this new section starts. So, what the lectionary passage has done is, it actually makes sense, even though it's kind of like, what is going on here? It's jumping all around. It's pretty simple when you look at it. It pulled out the parts of the passage that break up the flow of the speech that's attributed to God, except it keeps Jeremiah's vision in there. Um, so here's what we're left with. I'll sh- I can show you behind me here. Um, the, this will help you break it down just into three sections that we're going to look at today. The first pronouncement in verses 11 and 12, and then in verse 22, even though there's that big gap in between. Remember, that's just the century's call returning. So 11, 12, and 22 are all one pronouncement by God. And then Jeremiah has a vision in the middle section, verses 23 through 26. And then God's final pronouncement for the passage, at least, is verses 27 and 28. Does that make sense? I looked at this passage for, like, hours. <laughs> like, what? This doesn't, I don't get it. And then I finally pieced it together um, a little bit. <laughs> uh, which, again, doesn't help us with the fact that it's very challenging spiritually. And so now that we have uh, at least the beginnings of understanding of the structure of the passage, I want to take a look at two concepts that, that I see in, uh, in today's passage and talk more in depth about them. The first concept comes from the, the portion uh, of the reading that is Jeremiah's vision, which was uh, 23 through 26, right? And the concept I want to talk about is simply destruction, desolation, despair, other words that start with the letters D-E-S <laughs> and are kind of depressing. This is Jeremiah's vision of what will happen to the people of God. Now, you may remember that last week we were in chapter 18, and this lectionary readings kind of bounce us around a little bit. But, um, so this, we haven't heard some of, the, uh, some of the hope that comes at the end of the passage we read last week is not yet um, on the table. There is a little bit of hope here that we'll get to, but we've got a lot to wade through first. And so I want to look at the vision, um, which is, as I said, verses 23 through 26. Let me just read that portion to you again. 
I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no one at all, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. This is before the conquest and the destruction of the temple and, and all the, the horrible things that would happen to the, the people of Judah. But Jeremiah is seeing this coming. Except it actually goes even further than that. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't describe the destruction of this little nation and then move on to, you know, wherever they can move to after. If you look, he's not talking about Judah. He's not talking about Israel. Verse 23, I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void. It's even more depressing than you might have guessed. And if you were to read this passage, and while you do so, think back to the creation account in Genesis 1. Don't expect that you all have that memorized, but you remember the story about how God made this on the first day and this on the second day and this on the third day. And it's this progressive building and creating and forming. And the the passage here is very simply a complete undoing of that creation. Remember how God put the lights in the sky? The greater light governed the day and the Lesser light governed the night. Verse 23b, I looked to the heavens and they had no light. God made the earth and the sea and separated the land from the sea. He looked on the mountains and the hills and they were shaking. God made the animals and the fish and the birds of the sky. Verse 25, there was no one at all, and the birds of the air had fled. And he made the plants to grow up. Verse 26, I looked, and the fruitful land was a desert. So this vision is staggering. It's really, really total destruction. It's a complete undoing of God's work. And you, you get this sense that, that in creation, God had made himself present and close and had his hands all over the world that he was forming. And his people rejected him, and it was almost as if he stepped back and said, okay. And in the absence of God's grace and presence and sus- sustaining power, all the work that he had done was undone. And the world just returned to chaos and darkness. It's not an easy passage to dwell on. And there are no easy answers that I could just throw out and say, don't worry. 
It's, okay. it's going to be okay. And so I actually think that the response to something that describes this much despair, the best response is probably a little bit of silence. I was reminded this week of Job, the story of Job who underwent great trials. And his friends gave him advice, and his, you know, all this horrible stuff happened to him, and he didn't know what to do. And he eventually did what any of us would probably have done sooner and exploded at God and just raged at him. And say, what did I, you know, what did I ever do to deserve this punishment? And then God responds to him. And God's response is not short or particularly gentle. It's two entire chapters of the book of Job, as you get near the end, of God saying, basically, it boils down to, who is God here after all? Is it you or is it me? Were you around when I formed the entire creation? Did you do all this stuff that you see around you? Who's in charge here after all? And uh, Job's response is, is kind of funny. Um, his, his eventual response is, I think, actually very appropriate, and that's silence. But he doesn't get there right away. He does that thing where he's like, you know the guy who's always like, you know, I, I can't, there's nothing worse than the person who just keeps talking and talking and talking when all anybody wants to do is just sitting quiet. Not me. Oh, no. I, I'm not going to be the person who just can't shut up and keep talking. And he goes on and on a little bit. Job says, after God basically says, who's God? Job says, well, <laughs> you're right. Who am I? I'm going to keep silent. Uh, I talked for a while there. Um, I responded once, but no more. Well, I said it. I said I responded twice, but now I'll keep silence. Whenever you're, um, you're kind of laid bare and, and uh, you're reminded of your place... <laughs> It's, it always takes a few extra, it always takes a few tries to finally shut up and say, okay, fine. And to submit and to be a little bit humble about it. I don't know, maybe it does for me. I don't know about for you. But Job certainly does. But when he finally is ready to quiet down for real in uh, chapter 40, verse uh, verse, uh, I think it's 4 or 5, I can't remember. He says, see, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. He can't, he's having such a hard time being quiet that he literally has to cover his mouth. Walter Brueggemann describes it like this. He says, Job, like every pondering theologian, is reduced to silence. <laughs> we can talk and talk and figure it out and figure it out and eventually... You may just need to sit still and put your hand over your mouth before you make it worse. And so I actually think it might be good for us to reduce ourselves to silence, um, to put our own hands over our mouths for a few minutes. And so what I'm going to do is give you a series of questions, different angles from which to view this really challenging passage. And I'm going to give you a few minutes of silence to ponder each each of these uh, angles. The first one is this. 
This level of destruction and, and devastation is, is so hard for us to comprehend here where we are. Yet for some people in the world, this vision may look all too familiar. And so I'd like to ask you to take three or four minutes of silence and try to dwell with those fellow human beings in their despair, victims of natural disaster, for example. See what they see, hear what they hear, and share their pain. Now I'd like to ask you to contemplate the desolation of those a little bit closer to home. Though we have not experienced large-scale natural disaster locally, uh, there are still those in our community who find themselves in despair. And in the silence of these next few minutes, I'd like you to walk with those fellow humans. It would be good, too, to consider the possibility that we as individuals have some role in the mess that we see around us. Maybe we are too comfortable holding on to our wallets or holding on to our tongues, and we've become complicit in the tragedy that we see around us. And if that weren't enough, sometimes we lose control and intentionally commit acts of violence and destruction, if not physically, then emotionally.
And so I'd like you to, to ask you in the next few minutes of silence to do something very difficult and ponder your own role in the world's suffering, both locally and abroad. And in this last period of silence, I want you to take a few minutes and try to trace your actions or your inaction to its source. When you strip away all the pretense, what is it that you see? What remains? If uh, your friends around you here who know you saw you at your worst, what would they think? And what is the state of your soul, ultimately? Take a few minutes with that one. I promised you at the beginning that I wanted to talk about two concepts and that the first one was destruction based on Jeremiah's vision, and we've done that. The second concept is somewhat more hopeful. I really think it's very important when we look at the Bible to consider the meaning of the smallest words in the verses. Sometimes the little tiny words contain a whole lot of meaning. Let's look at verse 27, the beginning of the Lord's second pronouncement. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. I think the word yet is the absolute hinge of this passage for us as people of faith. Sometimes it shows it as but. Those little words make a sentence, turn a corner, change its direction. 
And I don't think it would be fair to the passage to make this little, uh, little tiny independent clause, I will not make a full end, preach to the rest of the passage because we've just dwelled in that stuff and it's, it's there. You can't just gloss over it and pretend that everything's okay. That word is there. Yet I will not make a total end. There's another great verse in the Bible that uses, uh, uses but in a similar way. You go to the football games, and you watch, or if you watch it on TV, the guy always holds up John 3.16 behind the uh, goalposts when the field goal kick goes up. But I think the verse right after John 3.16 is at least as awesome as, the, as that one. It doesn't get nearly as much publicity. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's especially important to us now because as we talked about last week and we talked about in the Colossians passage, the reality on the ground has changed with the coming of Jesus Christ. I think it's important for us to have dwelled in that other place, in that other reality, which is not yet fully defeated. (laughs) Because we need that if we're to fully understand the work of Jesus. Kierkegaard said, remove from Christianity its ability to shock and it is altogether destroyed. It then becomes a tiny superficial thing capable neither of inflicting deep wounds nor of healing them. And so we've seen those deep wounds And we look to Jesus for healing. So I'd like to read to you the last lectionary passage of the day, which comes from 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I'm grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me, Because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I received mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I'd like to invite you now to participate in the sacrament of Holy Communion. And it would be really good to have those last words ringing in your ears as you come to the table. And you can tear a piece of the bread, dip it in either the wine or the juice, whatever is more appropriate for you uh, and for your family. And take that in remembrance of that work of Jesus. And receive it as food for your souls. If you're a parent who would like to take communion with your children, you can go 
uh, get them now and just kind of be cautious as you come back in that folks are still in prayer. Um, if you'd like to wait until after communion, you can do that as well. It's okay either way. Um, but our table's now open and will remain open for the rest of our service. And uh, listen for the call of Jesus on your life. And uh, if you hear it, this is the response. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.